invite you to turn your Bibles with me this morning to Romans chapter 8. We're um, talking over the last few weeks about the New Covenant, and today we're going to be talking about the life of the New Covenant. We've talked about the blood of the New Covenant, we've talked about the cross of the New Covenant, and today we're going to talk about the life of the New Covenant. And I know that I will not finish this today, so but we will get started with this. And um, what we've come to understand so far is that the objective of God through his son Jesus Christ in the cross is to judge an old creation in order that he might raise up a new creation. He would swallow up man's history in the death of Jesus so that he could capture man's future, that we would have a destiny and a hope that was worth looking forward to. Because apart from Jesus, we were all doomed and we had no hope and we would suffer God's eternal wrath. But God has taken us up in Jesus Christ. This is so important for you to understand. And we will come to this in regards to sanctification as we talk about it. But if you will remember, God has concluded that all men are in Adam. And so the rebellion of Adam has transferred upon us sin and the wrath of God. Just because you're born of Adam. Therefore, God has sent the last Adam into the world, who is Jesus. And in Jesus, there is no unrighteousness. Jesus has perfectly fulfilled every desire of the Father, and he has fulfilled the law. He's the only one that did. And so, if you're born again, you come out of Adam, and you are placed into Jesus, then Jesus and the merit of his life is transferred into your life as Adam's disobedience was given to you Jesus's obedience is given to you as Adam's unrighteousness became yours Jesus's righteousness becomes yours it's a matter of faith not a matter of works you didn't work to to be the son of Adam you were born and same thing with this life in Christ you're born again into Christ. So all men are either in Adam or the last Adam. And so being in Adam, there was a teaching we saw in Hebrews about how Levi, who had become the head of the Levites, the, the tribe of priests with Israel, remember Levi gave tithes to Melchizedek. Now Levi wasn't even born, but he gave tithes to Melchizedek because his father Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek. And Levi was in Abraham's loins. He wasn't born yet, but he was in him. And because Abraham gave tithes, then Levi gave tithes. And it's the same thing. Because Adam sinned, you were in Adam when he sinned. And therefore, what he did, you did. And you've got to be put into Jesus so that what he did is what you do. And so I gave the illustration that if your grandfather had passed away when he was 12 years old, what would have become of you? And you would not even be here because you were in your grandfather. And if your grandfather had died at five years old, then you would not have any possibility of living. You were in him. You would come from him. We were in Adam and we would come from him. And the need for all humans is to be put into Jesus Christ. So that we can pass from death unto life. I want to define for you this morning sanctification. It has become or it has been throughout the centuries a heavily debated topic. 
But I want to define sanctification as the education of learning how to live by the life of my new parent. How to live by the life of my new parent. And it is an education. And we're going to see how that transpires. This is the life of the new covenant. In the beginning of our life, even in the beginning of our Christianity, we were concerned with our doing. We were distressed by what we have done and rather than what we were. And we thought if we could do better, then we would be better. But we didn't do better because we were not better. There's not a reformation of our flesh. That is not what God desires. Make yourself better now that you're a Christian. You're still back under the old system and the old law. You cannot do that. That's the purpose of the cross of Jesus. But we tend to think that if only we could find victory over this one thing, or maybe two or three things in my life, then I would be so good and God would be so pleased with me. The only reason God is pleased with you is because you put your faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. And it is only the good things that Jesus is able to do through your life that brings the Father glory. And it's not of our works. But we try to please the Lord. We try with all of our might to please the Lord because there's a sincerity in our love for God and we really want to please Him. And so we look very hard within ourselves to find something that we can bring to God that will please Him. But we cannot and we will not. Through sanctification, the Holy Spirit begins to educate us, and His education is different than ours, and we'll learn that. But the Holy Spirit begins to educate us that there's something fundamentally wrong on the inside of us. Though we get a new heart when we are born again, we do not get a new mind. We're told to renew our mind, and we're told to have the mind of Christ. God tells us to forgive, but something within us protests. And we refuse to forgive. We want to hold a grudge. We want to be angry. We want to be mean, at least for some time, at least until we feel justice has been served upon those who did something wrong to me. And that is not the way of God. God tells us that we're no good. But we're determined to prove God wrong and find something good within ourselves, even though Romans says there's nothing good in us that is in our flesh. God tells us we can't. But we take up the law and we want to prove to God that we can, only to fail because we cannot. God tells us to love. He tells us to give. He tells us to go. But we find reasons to argue with God as to why we cannot. God tells us to tithe, but we have our excuses as to why we don't tithe. The more we try to discipline ourselves into obedience, the more we fail. We become obsessed with ourselves and what we have to do right. This is not the life of the new covenant. This is the life of religion and it is the life of the law and it is the life of misery and depression. So victory is learning to live by faith and walk in the life of my new parent and not in the life of my old ways. Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. 
who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And so this is the life of the new covenant. The life of the new covenant is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit that Jesus said when he would ascend into heaven, he would send him to us. And he would live inside of us. And sanctification is learning to live by the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the life of grace. It's learning to live by the grace of God. And I want to I compare that, if you will, learning to live by God's grace as opposed to how we lived our whole life by Adam's grace. Now, remember this. Adam was the man under judgment. Adam was the man under God's wrath. And Adam was the father of us all who would transfer into us that nature of rebellion and sin. So in order to understand grace, let's define it just another time. Grace is the divine influence of God upon a man's heart and his life, which begins to express itself in how we live. So grace is God himself influencing me, convicting me, directing me, moving me, inspiring me, changing me. That's God. Grace. He does that inside of me. And he has many ways by which he can do that. And so grace, by that definition, is God working in me. And I would like, if I could, borrow somewhat of that definition and apply it to Adam, where Adam is working in us. And we've all experienced that and we've all understood that. So when you were lost and you were living your life as a lost person in rebellion to God, how many of you were obsessed on how your father Adam would live? How many of you would every day of your life strive so hard to make sure that you're behaving like your father Adam? I don't believe any of us really did that. We didn't have to do that because Adam was fully alive in us. And Adam was living his life in us. And that is why we committed sins. Because we had the principle of sin that was in us. You understand what I'm saying? And that principle of sin is the nature of Adam. If you will, a type of grace. That is at work in unbelievers. That naturally produces and manifests its effect through their life. Through sin, through cheating, through loss of temper, through addictions, all of that is just Adam manifesting himself through his children. You don't have to tell the old man to sin, and you don't have to tell the new man to be holy. That is the conflict of the new creature. That was not a conflict in a lost person, because the lost person was simply one nature, the child of wrath. But when a person's born again now, there's a new nature. And that new nature is in conflict with the old nature. And therefore, we are learning how to live by the life of Jesus Christ. And this is the life working in the man. For example, did you ever have to run alongside of a lost person who really wants to go to hell? They really do. I want to go to hell when I die. I don't want to belong to God and I don't want to go to heaven. I want to go to hell. You've heard people say that where all of my friends are going to be and we'll have this great party in hell and all of that, you know, just ignorant of what it's really like. And so this person really wants to go to hell. Did you run alongside of them and coach them and say, hey, you better keep up your bad behavior so you'll go to hell when you die? 
Maybe they did a few good things. Maybe they did a few good works. Maybe they were kind to somebody. Maybe they gave some type of offering to help somebody that was poor. And you come on, oh, you better not do that. If you do that, you might go to heaven when you die. No. You know that they're not going to heaven because they've done some good things. Even if they did good things for the rest of their life, they're not going to heaven. Because they're essentially wicked and sinners because they're in Adam. And you know that. Because it's not by our works that we're saved. It is by grace and faith that we're saved. So you would say, you need to repent. You need to trust in Jesus Christ. And if you don't trust in Jesus, then you will go to hell when you die. But yet, how often do we run beside believers and cause them to be self-conscious and self-aware and try to inspire them to maintain, do this, do this, don't do that, don't do this, when it's all supposed to be the relationship of the life of Jesus that is in us. It doesn't mean that we don't inspire one another to good works. We obviously do. Just as evil people inspire evil people to bad works. We do that. But it is the nature that is in us that does it. And so I want to come to this in Romans chapter 7. It's imperative that I do. Because I want us to understand the life of the new covenant. Now we started in Romans 8. And we talked about this life in the spirit. But you got to understand how we get there. Because if we don't understand Romans 7, you will not understand Romans 8. And so I want us to take some time this morning and go through this chapter of Romans 7. And I want to begin in verse 14. And it says this, and we're going to back up to the beginning of this. We're even going to touch chapter 6 today. But in Romans 7, 14, he says, Paul says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent to the law that it is good. The law is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. And I am so thankful that the Holy Spirit had Paul write this. I am very thankful to God for that. Because there's too many preachers and there's too many Christians that will not admit this reality in their own life. And every one of us in this room do things we know we shouldn't do. And we don't do the things that we know we should do. We're we're all in that kind of a battle. But I'm thankful. God for the Apostle Paul who revealed this about his life. Now, what I want to talk about, and I want to just focus on verse 14 for just a second. He says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. He is referring to the previous verses. The implication here is in regards to a righteousness that comes by the law. That's the implication of verse 14. A righteousness that comes by the law. And Paul is simply saying that it is impossible to gain a righteousness through the law 
for those who are carnal and sold under sin. The word carnal here means that which pertains to the flesh, that is by extension, bodily, temporal, or by implication, animal, unregenerate, carnal, fleshly. No divine life. And that's what the carnal would be. And it is impossible for a man in that state to achieve a righteousness through the law. And Paul had to come to that conclusion because how did he spend most of his life? Trying to gain righteousness through the law as a Pharisee, right? So back up, if you will, to verse 10. And he says this, And the commandment which was ordained to life, because the commandment's spiritual, the law of Moses is spiritual, it's good, it's holy. It was ordained to life. I found to be death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it, by the law, it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good made death to me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin... Worked, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. So the law was given, perfect, holy, spiritual. The law is great. The law did not come and kill me. The law came and incited the sin that was in me, exposed the sin in me, and caused me to become aware that my sin is exceedingly sinful, and I am under God's wrath, and it slew me. And that's what Paul's saying. I lived my life as a Pharisee. And I was touching the law blameless among all of my peers, but it deceived me. And, And through it, by sin, it killed me. And that's why Paul says in verse 14, the law is spiritual and I'm carnal. How can a carnal man fulfill something that's spiritual? I'm sold under sin. I have to be delivered from this. I have to be rescued from this. Are you with me? And so I want you to understand this. And I want you to see that in chapter 7, Paul is giving his testimony. And he's actually giving his testimony from the time of his birth all the way through Romans chapter 8. You've got to understand this because some people take Romans chapter 8 as a separate thought. But I'm talking about the entire chapter of chapter 8. Romans chapter 6 proves that believers can yield their members to fleshly and lustful desires. Because he tells us in Romans chapter 6 and verse 13 as he's talking to the church. Don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Yield yourselves to God. He's talking to the church. He's talking to born-again people. He talks to born-again people in verse 12. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. He's telling us that because it is possible for us as Christians to give in to lust, to give in to temptation, to commit sin, and to fail in what God has wanted us to do. Thus, we find ourselves oftentimes in Romans chapter 7 doing things that we know we shouldn't do. Doing things we actually hate doing and not doing things we should do. We find ourselves there because Romans chapter 6 tells us it's very possible for us as Christians to yield ourselves members to that. 
In Romans chapter 7, Paul deals with that struggle in his own experience and the victory he would come to through the life of the new covenant. Romans chapter 7 goes into Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is the picture of justification, sanctification, perfection, everything that God has for us. So he begins in his beginning. In Romans 7 verse 5, I just want you to read this with me. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit to death. Where does sin get its strength? From the law of Moses. 1 Corinthians 15. The strength of sin is the law. All right? And so it works. Sin works through that to deceive us. Come on, you can do better. You can be better. But the law is not going to justify any man. It's going to condemn every man. You know, so he tells us this when we were in the flesh. So he speaks of his past. I'm talking about a time when we were in our flesh. We were lost. We were without God. We were sinners. We were still in Adam. And sin worked and by the law, and it worked in our members, and it brought forth fruit to the death. So I just want you to see he's speaking of the past. In verse 6, he speaks of the present, but now we are delivered from the law. Verse 5 is the past. Verse 6 is the present. Now we are delivered from the law. Isn't that great? He, he's not just simply saying we are delivered from sin, which we are, but we're delivered from the law because... That's how we're free from the judgment of our sin. We have to come out from the law. Now, we didn't get away with anything, right? Remember what happened? We were in Christ when he died. So our sin was judged. The wrath of God was poured out on us in Christ when he died. And so we're delivered from the law. You know, it's it's double jeopardy. You can't try a person twice for the same crime. It's been paid for. And it's been paid for. So being dead... And I I wish that would stand out to you, being dead, wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit, the life of the new covenant, and not in the oldness of the letter. So now that we're born again, we're supposed to live in a new way. We're not supposed to live in the oldness of the old letter, but we're supposed to live in the newness of the spirit. So the life that we live now in the new covenant is the life of the Holy Spirit. But it is so possible for Christians to live by the oldness of the letter. And that will be most of chapter 7 that he talks about. And so I just want you to understand it. And then he goes back into his past in Romans chapter 7 verse 9. And he says this, for I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. He's talking about his age of innocence. He's talking about his birth. And he's talking about whatever length of years those were until the law of God came and confronted some Saul of Tarsus. Maybe he was six. Maybe he was seven. Maybe he was four. I don't know. But at some point in his young life, The law of God confronted this little kid, Saul of Tarsus, with the fact of sin. And that Saul of Tarsus was convicted by it and immediately went on this journey of being a Pharisee. 
to somehow deal with the sins of his life. And he said, so I was alive. If I, you know, if a baby, if a baby is, is, is premature, a baby dies before the age of accountability, they go to heaven. <clears throat> they wouldn't had it not been for the death of Jesus and his blood. All men would go to hell, but because of that, there's this period of innocence. And so when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. So he's talking about his infancy and his childhood. He was alive without the law. He became accountable for sin. The law came. It made sin alive. And Paul concluded, I was dead in my sins. Then he goes into chapter 10, which is his life as a Pharisee. The commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be to death. For sin, taken occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy. The commandment's holy. It's just. It's good. Then that which is good made sin to me. God forbid, but sin that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good. That sin by the commandment might have become exceeding sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. That's his life as a Pharisee. Doesn't matter how hard he tries. I'm a carnal man and I cannot achieve a spiritual discipline. I cannot do it. And so he needed help. And I just pray you're with me on that and you understand that. And then he goes and he deals with things as a Christian believer. And he begins to pick this up in verse 15, but he really dives into it for the remaining verses. And so we're going to be very careful here. And I want us to read this together and then I'm going to come back over some of this because it's so important that you get it. If you don't get this, it'll be very hard for you to understand the liberty of chapter 8. So I just pray that you see this. Verse 15, for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent to the law that's good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that's in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. All right, now let's, let's tackle these verses. Because they're so very important. And I want to just do this methodically as we go through it. In these verses, Paul obviously discusses his struggle with sin. He obviously discusses great conflict that is in his life. I'm doing things that I hate. And I'm so glad Paul says that because I've heard us and I've probably been guilty of this myself when I've talked to a person who's committing sins in their life. Well, you know why you do it? Because you love it. But wait a minute, Paul says, I did things I hated. Hated it. Found myself in this wrestling of things that I despised, but I was falling into these things in my life. And he openly deals with his struggle with sin. And I want to show to you why Paul is a believer in these verses. Number one, I want you to see that this is not consistent with Paul's testimonies and other epistles when he is referring to himself as a Pharisee. 
Paul never refers to himself this way when he's writing to the Corinthians or writing to the Galatians or writing to anyone else about his life as a Pharisee. He is boasting in his life as a Pharisee as though touching the law he is blameless. That was his life as a Pharisee. But here he is admitting openly his struggle that he is going through. And then he says two things. And it's said twice. And a lot of people are so scared to touch this. I'm not. Verse 17. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. And he repeats it in verse 20. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. How can anybody but a twice-born man say that? And so many people are scared to touch that, but Paul was not afraid to write it. It's not me that does it. It is this sin principle, this iniquity, this nature that has been crucified with Christ. That's not me anymore. That has been put away. And he has, in this sense, he has renounced that man. That's what repentance is. I repent of that man. I repent of that wretched man. I repent of that rebel. I repent of that enemy of God. I repent of that child of wrath. He repents of him. He disassociates himself from him. But nonetheless, you certainly see that there is this principle that is at work in Paul's life. In verse 21, he says this, I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Paul declares that he has an inner man. This repudiates verse 14, which says I'm carnal, which was Paul's testimony when I lived as a Pharisee, and now I'm no longer a Pharisee, and I'm not a carnal man, I'm a spiritual man, and I have a new man in me, and I have an inner man. And Paul is saying that I delight in the law of God after the inner man, but there is this law that Evil is present with me, and he despises that. That's the struggle of the born-again Christian. That's the conflict that you find yourselves in so many times. It's not good to live there. There's a victory in Romans 8 that we should live in. This is not an excuse to keep up your sin, right? That's why he had to say that in Romans chapter 6. Should we continue in sin that grace may have been? God forbid. This is the education of sanctification. And we go on past this. So it's not an excuse to sin or to keep it up. Oh, well, that's not me that does that. There's a deception in that. There's a deceivableness in sin. You have to be very careful. You have to repudiate that man and despise that man and the things that he does. Now, Paul says in verse 18, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. What Pharisee would ever say that about themselves? No way. They're sending themselves to hell by saying that. There's no Pharisee could ever say that. Paul's a born-again man here. And he is referencing the fact, and he's very careful to say it, there's no good thing in me, and he's very careful to denote, and I'm talking about in my flesh. 
Because there is something good in me now, and that's the life of Christ. That's the new heart, the new spirit, the new life that I have. That's good, but this flesh is no good. Now, that right there, I would say, is a key thing to really going on into victorious sanctification. Is the realization that there's nothing good in you. And I have found very few Christians believe that. Very few Christians believe there's nothing good in them. We say it because it's in the scriptures, but we don't believe that. Just look at the way we look down on others. Why do you look down on somebody else? Because they're beneath you, right? You're disgusted with their behavior. Why? Because you would never do that. Why is it that you can't forgive somebody of the sins they've committed against you? Because you don't understand, or I don't understand, that there's really nothing good in me. But I don't believe it. And a lot of Christians don't believe it. So what do they do? They spend their lives under the old letter, rather than the newness of the Spirit, trying to get rid of all the bad things in them, so there's just these sparkling good things that are in them. As they see God, see how good I am, see how I meant it. And we want to couple that with Jesus. Or something of that nature. And it's just a very dangerous thing. In order to get in. So no Pharisee would ever say verse 18 about themselves. And Paul is careful to state that he's referring to his flesh. Now in verse 22. He says. And we're going to go through verse 25. And I just want you to kind of go through this. And he says in verse 22. There's an inward man. And then he talks in verse 23. I see another law in my members. Warring against the law of my mind. So there's this struggle. There are these laws. That are at work in me. These laws that are going on. There's a law in my member. There's a law in my mind. And these things are struggling. Well what is he talking about? Well praise God. We have the word of God to interpret itself. Right? We don't have to, you know, argue and debate over this. He's referring to what he already told the church in chapter 6. Yield your members to God. It's the struggle. You don't have to. But because you're born again, you can. And a person that's not born again is not free. And they cannot. But you can. And again, I referenced that in Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 13. And he talks very clearly about the members. So when he writes it in chapter 7, the church reading this letter knows exactly what he's talking about. And they're very honest about their Christian life and the battles that they are in. So he references his members. His members are his bodily functions that can be yielded to lust or to righteousness. He confesses that evil is still present with me. I am in a battle, Paul is saying. I'm in a struggle. There is a law in my members which wars against the law of my mind. The law of my members is the works of lust. The law of my mind is conscious. And God's law convicting me in the law of sin in my members has reference to Moses and his law and my desire to prove to God through my own works that I can be good. And all these struggles are going on in the Apostle Paul. And so he comes to chapter 20 or verse 24 and he is like a lot of Christians. I am worn out. I'm worn out. I'm worn out with knowing what I should do and I don't do. 
I'm worn out with God wanting me to do certain things in my life, but I don't do it. I keep putting it off. I keep delaying it. I keep wanting to divert it from my life or whatever it might be. And I'm frustrated and I'm tired of sin and I'm tired of doing things that I hate. And I'm tired of this battle. I'm tired of struggling with this law in my mind and this law in my flesh. And I'm tired of the conflict. How many of you could agree with Paul? I, I do. I, I thank God that he's being so honest. A oh, oh, wretched, which means worn out. I'm worn out. A wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And this body of death is a direct reference to verse 17 and 20. This guy, this man that I have repudiated and renounced and repented of. I hate him. And I have repented of him. Get him off of me. I'm sick of carrying this guy around that fights everything God wants me to do. He's a hindrance to my life. So we've, we've said it. You probably said it. The greatest enemy of your life is who? Not Satan. It's our flesh. And that's what Paul's saying. It's this guy is wearing me out. And that's why he goes into Romans chapter 8, which has just been so missed in our modern society When he talks about the groaning of creation in Romans chapter 8, how all creation is groaning for its deliverance and the manifestation of the sons of God. And we also groan. He is directly referencing Romans chapter 7, verse 24 and 25. Get this guy off of me. He is, I want to be free of this guy. But just as creation is going to be liberated, I am going to be liberated from this body of death. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. And so how do I live so I'm not worn out? How do I live so I have joy? How do I live so there's victory and power in my life? Romans chapter 8 is how you live. But he goes to verse 25, which we need to visit. And he says this, because some people think this is the answer. This is not the answer. This is the way he has been living. His answer begins in chapter 8, verse 1. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, that is the answer. So then, speaking of the past, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Paul is referencing the fact that I have lived my life as a believer in my mind Trying to serve the law of God. I know what God wants. But I lived in my flesh. Serving the law of sin. I can't give it to him. And that is the way I lived my Christian life. I know what he wants. I want him to have it. But there's another law in my flesh. That can't produce it. And he has to abandon this. And he comes into the joyful celebration of chapter 8. That there's no condemnation now to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life. In Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God sent in his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law. 
that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So if you begin to live the life of the new covenant, which is the life of the Spirit, are you going to continue in sin? No way. But actually, what the law has been after is not only going to be something that you have in your practice, it's going to be something that you have in your innermost desires. And the ability to live that way is the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the grace of God at work in a person's life. And I just mind you to understand this. In verse 6, he says, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That word carnally minded is different than the carnal of chapter 7, verse 14. When he says, I am carnal, it's different. That word carnal means I'm just animalistic, I'm in my flesh, I'm under those appetites, I'm I'm living out of that strength and power. But carnally minded deals directly with the sin principle, the nature of Adam that he used to live in. And he said, I am no longer living in the nature of Adam. I have seen him and I have repented of him. And now I am living by faith in the life of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are commanded. And I'm going to close with this. Call if you just want to come up. Therefore, we are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We are commanded to be led by the Spirit. To walk in the Spirit. But you know what's sad? What is sad is the lack of intimacy. That so many believers have with the Holy Spirit. And he is your victory and your life. And apart from intimacy with him. We can only be left with our ability to struggle in ourselves. To do better, look better, feel better. And it's just not going to happen. But beloved, from this point to the rapture of the church or until we die and see Jesus Christ, the life of the believer is a very joyful and liberating and wonderful life if it's lived in the life of the new covenant. And we're going to continue more with this. We've just touched the surface of it, just getting into it. But I pray that you'll study this with me. Go into chapter 8. Begin to look at this. We're going to study it more. We're going to look at the book of Galatians as well. About the life of the Spirit. But some of you this morning. Are trying so hard. To perfect something in your own life. Trying to be something. In your own power. But it's only by the Holy Spirit. That the life of Jesus. Can be manifest through. And I just ask you right now to perhaps repent of trying to live by the old letter. And ask the Lord, would you teach me how to live by the Spirit? Would you teach me how to walk in the Spirit? And I guarantee you, He'll make you uncomfortable. I guarantee you, one of the first things the Holy Spirit will attack is your religion. Tradition. And he will cause us to have heartfelt, spiritual love for Jesus Christ. That would go after him. Go after him.
So for the next minute or two, just take this opportunity to rely upon God and to ask the Lord to be your strength and your portion right now and teach me, Lord, how to live by the Holy Spirit, the life of Christ, the life of victory.